Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We are up to episode 6 of season 1 of Deep Space 9. This one is called Cueless. It was directed by Paul Lynch. Story goes to Hannah Louise Shearer. The teleplay goes to Robert Hewitt Wolf, aired back on February 7th, 1993. In this one, where is it? Vash, a former love interest of Captain Jean-Luc Picard, arrives on Deep Space Nine, trying to elude her companion Q and make a profit selling archaeological artifacts from the Gamma Quadrant, including a mysterious alien crystal. Anyway, Clay is here to talk about this one. How, how are you doing, Clay? Good. I didn't realize Deep Space Nine turned Q into like a pervy Doctor Who. Oh yeah. Well, this is the uh, this is Q's only appearance in Deep Space Nine. So you're you're blessed. Really? Yeah, by having his only appearance on this show. Mm, that's <laughs> that makes me sad. <laughs> does it does it uh, literally make you sad, or is that uh, that just kind of a joke at this point? No, it makes me sad. Interesting. Like, for real. Okay, so. We are going to be talking about uh, Cueless. Uh, I think we, we should start. Uh, Patron actually asked that we talk about the um, theme music and the introductory credits, which we haven't done to this point because on TNG, we only had really the one. TOS is kind of just nothing uh, to compare to. So that, now that we're in. We will sp- talk about one theme. If you want to hear the rest, you got to pay more money. That's right. So let's talk about. Um, How much are those themes worth, man? Deep Space Nine is. Um, my favorite musical Star Trek theme. Um, it's not my favorite sort of introductory visual theme that they go with. I think Voyager has like better visuals in the introduction. Um, what do you think about the music for Deep Space Nine at this point? Um, the theme song. I'll be honest with you. I it doesn't really affect me that much. I uh, I like I actually like the visuals because I was thinking about it. Um, you know, I I tend to jump over them, but I actually I actually was uh was sitting down to to pay attention to it this time. And uh they do something that I think is really important in the opening credits and they do basically the equivalent of the uh uh 20-minute scene in the first Star Trek movie where they just show you the ship for, yeah, right. for an hour. Yep. Um and I think that's important to do in this sh- for this show because their actual sets are so limited that uh, you you really need to get across the idea that they're on this sprawling space station. So spending the time to just sort of give you an exterior outlook of how big this thing is, I think I think really I think goes a long way. Yeah. yeah. Um, the music itself is not my favorite. I I guess I guess it makes sense because it's not really an adventure show the way the others were, so it's a little bit more subdued. Yeah. Um, I think I'd I'd like to ask you your opinion of the music after we're done with the show, almost because to me it feels like the it feels the most thematically appropriate of the shows mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Like if anything, what what Deep Space Nine has done for me for TNG is kind of knock TNG. Like I think TNG's introductory themes are now kind of like garbage at this point. Like it's not it's really not that good in my opinion. Really? Yeah. Okay. Like I don't like the um. Like the intro visuals kind of feel very like introductory Photoshop in a lot of ways. Like it's just yeah. kind of like here's Saturn, <laughs> here's the moon, there's stuff like that. And the the music just being a ripoff of the motion picture kind of does a little bit of damage to me, in my opinion. Um, mm. What's interesting is that maybe we'll get into this more, but Deep Space Nine is really not through the quality of the episodes that we've seen so far, but Deep Space Nine has actually lowered my 
or it's made me more aware of how much TNG was just kind of a reboot as opposed to a new idea of Star Trek. Oh, definitely, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. TNG feels very... TNG feels literally like TOS, only they're, you know, they're 100 years later, so everything is kind of updated more. Like, that's that's the right, extent right. of it, and it's, it's very similar in a lot of ways, and Deep Space Nine is different. But, yeah, we'll come back to it when the series is over, but uh, the theme music is my favorite. The visuals, I think, are very good. They're interesting. It's nice to see the station, as you said, but I think Voyager has a little bit um, better thematic clarity with what it shows at the introduction of Voyager. Um so we'll take her from there, but that's it. Uh, I think the theme, they also redo this theme in the third season and it becomes much better. Um, mm-hmm. It's more orchestral and stuff like that. But that's about it. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back and we're going to break down Cueless. You're right. This is an excellent idea. Cisco to us. All gone. Bring them back, Q. Now! Or what? You'll thrash me? Shall we settle this mano a mano? of Queensberry rules. What? Fisticuffs, pugilism, the manly art of self-defense. Come on, isn't this all wonderfully barbaric? Go on, take a poke at me. I know that's what you really want to do. Come on. I'll wager five bars of Latin on Cisco. You're on. Fight back. This is supposed to be brutal. pay me out of your profits from the auction. You hit me. Picard never hit me. I'm not Picard. Indeed not. You're much easier to provoke. How fortunate for me. All right, Clay, so we're five, six episodes into Deep Space Nine. This is your second episode. Um, What? I've watched all five of them in between. (laughs) So you got uh, stuck with Cueless. I know know what's going on with Odo? Odo. Odo. I know. He's my favorite character. I know what's going on. (laughs) You got stuck with uh, Q-less at this point. And is there a companion episode called Fewer Q? There should be. Yeah, Um, there really should be. Uh, fewer what's the other the other the other word the less it's the the grammatical mistake is always saying less when you should say fewer and thing like that but i think right. less is my, appropriate in this uh, my favorite joke <laughs> Cueless is the sixth episode of this so we've had five episodes so far hasn't been off to great um acclaim so far in mm-hmm. my opinion and then we end up with Cueless. so why don't you lead us off with uh, your general sort of take on Cueless as an episode no, knowing that it's the only Q episode this series will do. I feel like my whole feeling about this episode really comes down to the very first scene uh, where the doctor is hitting on the woman. Yes. Because Miles O'Brien should have gotten an Emmy Award for his, the stink eye that he's given <laughs> the doctor in that scene. <clears throat> and on, on another hand, that really kind of sums up my feelings about this episode. I kind of felt like I was making that face the whole episode. Yep. Um, I think that opening, we should focus on that opening scene for a little bit. It is the weirdest opening scene we've seen so far. Um, Like, what is the, what is the situation that's going on here? Why is O'Brien sitting in an empty cafe at the table right next to them, literally creepily watching Bashir go on a weird date where he's, he's not even lying to this woman, but he's telling her a very unimpressive story and she's blown away by him. Hey man, 
He's a space doctor. <laughs> That's all impressive. No, I, I mean, it's it's kind of that thing like if you're at a coffee shop and, you know, you're trying to read the newspaper, but the person behind you is talking. And even though you don't want to, yeah, you end up listening to what they're saying. Yep. Uh, I feel like I feel like that's what what O'Brien's doing there, and I can respect that because I'd be doing the same thing, especially if it was that that I was listening to, because I I would be just as confused listening to him talk about uh, being a, a medical sal- test or whatever the yeah, fuck is, and yeah. becoming salutatorian at med school or something <laughs> like that. That actually, I really like that part where <laughs> she was like, "Wait, hold on, salutatorian?" He's like, "Oh, but I mean, I mean, I mean, it would have been." I would have been valedictorian. But, they, uh, they had a trick question on the test is his excuse. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the Bashir character, I think, in a nutshell at this point. And is, I that, think is that the, all he um, does? Th- for, he, seems, he seems to be just like a horn dog. Yeah, that's the early way that they write him. He, he does get much better, but he, he's pretty much the worst character at this point in the first season. Cool. Um, so we've got a lot to go on him. I think that Cueless is... Judging through all the episodes we've come to so far, Culus is like the statement episode of the pro- the main problem that the show is having so far. So let me see what your thoughts are about this. The main problem outside of the pilot so far is that DS9 seems like a show that's not clear how much of a TNG clone it should be and how much of its own thing it should do. Mm-hmm. And they're doing a lot of what I would consider to be second tier TNG episodes very early. Yeah. Where they're bringing in characters from TNG. They're sort of doing these weird um, alien plot lines that aren't really built up at all. It's kind of just plot point after plot point until you get to the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And the Q thing here feels like it's just totally stuck in as a, hey, TNG fans, maybe you should watch Deep Space Nine at this point. Because I don't understand what Q brings to this episode um, at all. Like, I don't understand why he's in it at a certain point. And they don't even really focus on – there are two good scenes in this episode to me. And I think this episode is terrible. It's like it's probably the worst episode that we've seen so far. But the two – Happy to be here. The two good scenes are the Odo and Quark scene where Quark, yes. are ta- Quark and Odo are talking because those are the only two characters that actually feel like this is a new series and this is a new interaction between characters. Mm-hmm. And the other one that's okay is um, – it's not good. It's just okay is the – Cisco and Quark scene, uh, Q scene, where they talk to each mm-hmm. other and then they turn into the boxing match or whatever. Yeah. That feels to me like if you're going to write this episode, make the episode about how Cisco interacts with Q differently than Picard does, right? Yep. They don't do that whatsoever. They have that one scene where he punches them and that's the end of it. But outside of that, he interacts with them in basically the same way as Picard ever would. So what do you feel about that? And what do you feel about like Q's sort of necessary placement in this one? Well, uh, you know, <clears throat> going off what I said before, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't joking. I actually, this is a bummer that this is Q's only appearance because I feel like Q sh- deserves better than this. Um, maybe, maybe he doesn't. I didn't watch a lot of this, a ton of Q episodes from TNG, so maybe he's. Is he consistently this terrible every time he shows up? No, I can't remember. this is probably one of his worst episodes. Yeah, but I mean, that's, that's what I figured. It, it ties into, I'll just remind you, like, the, the point I always make is that the worst Q episodes are the ones where he comes in as just kind of a trickster. And the best ones yep. are the ones where his powers actually enhance the story because he allows yep. people to do things that they wouldn't be able to do. And this falls squarely in the camp of he's just a trickster and he's not even really a trickster in this one at all. He's oh, just definitely. kind of there. Yeah, he's really serves no purpose. I mean, it's like, uh, <clears throat> I feel... I feel like they they used him for the hook because um, 
when I, I knowing it was a Q episode going in, I was like, all right, so at what point in the cold open is he going to show up? Because if you have Q, you always have to end your cold open with showing Q. So everyone goes, oh, shit, it's a Q episode. Right. Because <laughs> um, it always works, because he's always, he's always, at least on the surface, an intriguing, interesting character to throw into the mix. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, all he does in this episode is just try to get the girl to leave with him. And it, they really blow an opportunity, because yeah, that, that boxing scene, as silly as the boxing scene is, has that great line where, he's, um, where he says, I'm not Picard, and then he, he says, uh, what the hell does he say? I wrote it down. He says, I know, you're much more you're, easy you're to... Much, yeah, you're much easier to provoke, which yeah. is uh, fortunate for me. That's that, uh, that was like, oh, I was... I was into it at that point. It's like, oh, this this could be interesting because that's that's an interesting. Uh, uh, you've never seen these two guys go at each other before, and um, you can see, you can it, see how different of a character Cisco could be in this situation and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. and it seemed like it seemed like they were just they just brought Q in for a red herring purpose, and that's a really lame use of Q. You could you could have used literally anything else, and it would not have changed the story. Right, right, or, and it and it wouldn't have made the story any better or worse because he's just there to, like you said, because he's a recognizable thing from TNG and he doesn't really have any bearing on anything. He doesn't help them do anything. He doesn't hurt them doing anything. He's just there to make it seem like it's going to be a Q versus Cisco thing, but then it turns out to just be uh, an eBay auction. Yeah. And I mean, I think it even, his uselessness even ties into the Vash subplot. Did you? You didn't watch any of the Vash stuff, and I'm going to alternate between calling her Vash, which is the way it's phonetically spelled, and Vash, which is the way they pronounce it. But <laughs> you didn't. You never saw Cupid or Captain's Holiday. I don't think from TNG. Um, I don't think so because I I was surprised. That, um, <clears throat> she's she's very attractive for a Picard ex girlfriend, and not right, the kind yeah, of so, not, that she's different than they usually are. Let's put it that way. So she was a new character to you, right? You'd never... You, yes. You, okay, yeah. you'd never seen her. So she did actually exist, and she was in episodes of TNG. Um, her relationship with Q, she goes off at the end of Cupid, which is her last appear, uh, appearance in TNG with Q, and Q promises the the ability to explore the galaxy with him. She's an archaeologist, like, thief-slash character. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes off to the Gamma Quadrant with Q, and they explore. And so this is their two-year-later thing. They come back... And Q is trying to convince her to keep going around the galaxy with him, right? I don't understand either of their motivations for why she wants to leave him and why he wants her to stick around with him. Because he doesn't love her, right? He, he, I don't know what he gets out of taking her around places. And I don't understand why she wants to leave him when at the end she just reverses it anyway and goes off with him again, like nothing ever happened from it. So what's your interpretation of why those two characters are bickering with each other? Uh, Because it's something to do. Yeah, basically. I mean, right? you know, I, I like one of the things I really like about these spinoff shows um, is they allow you the opportunity to follow up on, on plot lines that uh, you, you don't, they, that seem like they're over on the other show. Like they, they did that a lot on, on Angel with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it's always nice. It's always nice to see a, a story like that continued. But here they don't. I mean, that storyline has no bearing on anything other than an excuse for Q to do some parlor tricks. Right. Um, an excuse for like, them to be there in, in any kind of situation. Yeah. Like I, like I said, they just kind of turn him into a pervy Doctor Who just trying to get his uh, uh, um, – companion to to get back onto the TARDIS with him. Right. And honestly, if they had if they had leaned into that, that would have been kind of cool. If they had got into 
the reasons that Q wants her around because he doesn't need her around. What right. the hell does he need her for? He's a fucking god. Yep. He says in the you episode know? that he knows everything. So what, what, yeah. is, what exactly is he getting out of this? There's like, they had an opportunity to do some interesting character stuff and maybe give you an insight onto Q's character, but they just, they just, you know, they just want to girl must. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. I mean, the, the interaction between those two and their sort of whole, whole storyline is really just the, this to me feel, reminds me very much of, um, it was Babel, the episode that we watched before this with Trexpertise, where it, the story just feels like a sequence of plot events. Uh, and I told Kyle in that episode, like, there's a difference. The stories that are just plot events and then there's like a story. There's no story yeah. to me in this episode. It's just a bunch of shit that's happening one after another thing. And like, yeah. he was, Hugh, who happens to be there with them. Well, ultimately okay. coming down into the the completely sort of arbitrary ending where this one device she's brought on is a creature from the gamma quadrant and then it just flies off into the wormhole and it's never seen again yeah i i was kind of you know i didn't feel like there were any really discernible stakes going on here no no um because clearly the 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 energy sapping thing is a problem but it's another generic the station is going to blow up story yeah Yeah. and and when they when they zap the thing out into space and it turns into a giant jellyfish Everybody just kind of goes, huh? <laughs> Which I mean, I mean, I guess it can't all be, you know. Uh, uh, They've seen a lot at this point. Yeah, right? I, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and it it's, it takes a lot to impress them these days. <laughs> um, but to to speak to what you were saying before about how they're kind of stuck in that early TNG. Uh, yeah, I want to talk thing. about this a little bit because I think that's yeah. the defining feature. So sorry, go ahead. Well, I I think I think the issue is, um. As you pointed out, the best scene in the show, in the episode is the one with Odo and Quark. And it does, the episode as a whole does just seem like a bunch of, you know, events. And I think the issue is that you're basically, what we're watching through a TNG lens, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, we're watching the B plot of a TNG episode, but yeah. it's the entire show. Yeah, that's a good way and, to put it. And the reason that is, is because they are... DS9 is an ensemble show. There's no real, I mean, I guess Cisco was the lead, but it's like they're trying to go for making it more of a community thing. He, he, and he's, you he's much less, uh, he, sorry, but he, he is much less of a lead than Picard is in TNG. Yeah. yeah. And you didn't get that stuff in TNG usually unless it was a B plot or if it was, if they were leaning into that, it was this kind of episode because they didn't really know how to do it. Um, and I think here they're they're kind of leaning on on that aspect where you're getting good character stuff to an ex- you know for for some of these characters, um, but it's coming at at the uh, <clears throat> at the uh, at the cost of of the actual driving a plot because there's so many characters. Yes, right. Um, I did that. I hope that makes sense. No, it does, and I, I think that it like the the interactions that are being driven like there there is a lot of sort of character stuff going on to me but it it feels mm-hmm. it's weird when you put q as the interaction piece because when the deep space nine characters are talking about q it doesn't feel organic to me it feels in a lot of ways like this is a character that they shouldn't know it all but yet they have a very familiar conversation with each other when they when he does appear you know because the, I, the audience knows him so i really liked the scene where o'brien was like it's q and and cisco goes q damn it 
And then and someone asked him, "What's how do you know about Q?" And he's like, "I went to a seminar and they told me about him <laughs> two years ago." He remembered a seminar from two years ago. It's, it's which is you know, which is a bummer because part of the fun about Q is 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 learning is not knowing what he's about, and ha- having Cisco not know what Q is about. That I mean, if the if the episode, uh, I guess it depends on how you. Well, I mean, I'd I'd have a hard time not believing that everyone in the Federation knows that there's a race of godlike creatures that they've encountered. That's true. That's a good point. You know, but at the, you know, I guess I'm thinking like if they had gone into more of uh, this is really going a different direction than the parent they clearly wanted to go in this episode. But I'm just thinking if you're if you're putting Q up against Cisco, it would have been interesting to see like how Cisco deals with Q thinking he knows what's all about Q but you also have O'Brien there to be someone who actually has sure come in contact with Q to be kind of like the one who's like no you don't understand what you're doing he's just trying to trick you know that could, that could have been a really interesting episode yeah that's that's a good idea like the Cisco thinks that he can sort of beat Q on his own terms and O'Brien is the one who's like oh Picard did this but the the resolution of the story is showing how Cisco's different take on it can actually yeah. be effective in some ways especially especially uh because he is so uh, uh firmly established in the first episode or at least the first 20 minutes of the first episode um he's got uh, Picard as a sore spot for him sure so to be compared to Picard uh when it comes to Q, I could see that being a, a an excuse for him to to act rashly to prove that he is not Picard and that, you know, it's that kind of thing. That could have been really interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's the way to go in Read the that story on my fanfic website, we, we ds9-clay.com. We have a uh, a listener named uh, Mercer. I, I forget his name, but his, his, one of the names is Mercer and his username. And um, his sort of justification for early Deep Space Nine or his sort of... Um, what he thinks about it is that the stories aren't great at this point, but it's all about setting the scene for the new series. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of agreed in the early episodes. This episode, I think, is a drastic failure because A, it has no story, and B, the character interactions are not good enough, except for Odo and Quark's type thing. Yeah. Um, so That I, one... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, we can talk about why that is an effective scene as compared to everything else. And um, I'll start off by just saying that the scenes, there are Odo and Quark at this point and the actors uh, who play those two have immediately built a chemistry. This is not their first scene that they've done together. They pretty much have a scene every episode because I think the writers realize that those are two characters they know how to write to for effectively at this point. Mm-hmm. And the interaction between those two is unlike any interaction TNG ever had between two cast members. Yeah, where exactly. they can They know how to play each other in a sort of hostile but still friendly way where they're antagonistic towards each other but they're still chummy but they also know each other's weaknesses really well and can poke each other a little bit Mm -hmm. and that is not a character interaction that ever existed on tng there was no sort of needling the worst you would get on tng was Riker sort of being joking with Worf about something um, or making that Riker face. Right, making the Riker face. So, My favorite so face. Why did you uh, enjoy that scene? Because you agreed immediately when I said that that was the best one in the, the show. So why did you think that? Yeah, basically for the same reason. It was it was very different than anything you'll get on, on TNG. I should say very different than anything you'll get on TNG from uh, major cast members. You get kind of stuff like that from guest stars or whatever. But like as far as major cast interactions, never anything like that. And the thing, uh, excuse me if I if I 
don't. I, what does Odo do? Actually, I don't remember what he does. Like, he's what's the his... security chief. He's like the, he's called constable, okay. but he's the security chief of the station. Well, I got the impression. Feel free to tell me that I'm wrong. That uh, they Quark, obviously, but even Odo, they seem to both have be sort of gray, morally. Yes, and that is what made it really interesting to me. Is because you don't get two characters like that generally in Star Trek who are not played to be straight bad guys there's a to some extent yeah i'll I'll correct it a little bit quark is definitely like traditionally gray odo is odo has a very distinct code of his own that he does Mm -hmm. not he doesn't sort of he's big into rules but he's big into his rules is kind of the Mm -hmm. way that odo is written Mm -hmm. and yeah and it was just a it was a it was an interesting uh it was an interesting conversation those two guys are really good together um they, I get, they figured out how, what angle to shoot the Ferengi makeup on yeah. really well on this show. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's just our, uh, the actor's face plus the makeup, but like that makeup looks fantastic. And like when they get it at the right three quarter turn, head tilted down slightly, and he's got like the really deep eyebrows, it looks great. Yes, yeah, they, he, um, Armin Shimmerman is definitely the best at playing a Ferengi across the series and he'll, yeah. he'll, he'll move on. But they, they definitely have uh, recognized the best ways to actually film the makeup. Odo is still not looking great. He's looking better than he did in the pilot, but he's still not, um, he's still not great in my opinion. He look, he looks like they had a better makeup like on the sculpt, but then they left it outside or something right. and they just didn't have time to do it again. So like, ah, just, just use it. Or they, when, you know, when they were peeling it off, it kind of got damaged a little bit and they're like, ah, just, yeah, just exactly. stick it back on there or whatever. Yeah. I think that, um, and I agree that that's the strongest scene in the episode. And it's the only scene that's like this because this episode, if you're going to tell me that these OED Space Nine episodes are about setting up the cast, it completely fails there because no one is playing off against Q in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's it's very frustrating and very silly and uh, basically a complete waste of time. Um, and that scene, the scene with, with Odo and Quark, as good as it is, has no bearing on the plot. It has it has nothing to do with anything. I don't even really yeah. know what they're talking about in that. Episode. I don't remember either. Yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> it's it, you remember it for being good, but it's totally unimportant to what the plot is. Yeah. I guess he's he he thinks he turned into the bottle uh, that they were drinking out of. That, and yeah, they've um, he, they've exposed Odo's like no, they, they've exposed that Odo is spying on Quark by yeah, shape shifting yeah. into things like that. That's basically the uh, which is another thing that Worf would never do. Right, that's that's not right, something Worf right. would spy on some other main cast member or something like that. Arguably, arguably, why he's not a very good security chief because I feel like security chief, you got to do what you got to do to keep that ship safe. Right, exactly. I yeah. guarantee you, Tasha Yar was spying on everybody. Well, it's a good it's a good point that um, I mean, the the reason they can get away with it, right, is that Odo is not Starfleet, so Odo exists and it's like his own little um bubble in a in and a lot of ways. That's why they killed her. That's <laughs> I just blew it wide open. Tasha Yar was was spying on everybody on the ship, and they had her killed. Yeah, she knew too much. It was it was revealed in that hologram that she shot out at the at the end. That it's like Riker, I've been uh, I've been going through your logs, they, and they get a lot to threw, talk about. They, they threw that in the trash before she got to that part. So. <laughs> it's that uh, that video of the kid talking to uh, the YouTube videos, a little kid talking to Alexa, and he like asks Alexa the uh, Amazon Echo to do something, and it comes out with like p- playing porn, and the parents are like, no, 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 Alexa, turn off. <laughs> um, let's see, we can talk about. We talked about DS9 as a spinoff. So, you know, one thing, my biggest regret about doing the pilot with you, right, was that I took for granted, 
your knowledge of the Deep Space Nine universe in a lot of ways. And I think that it was it was interesting. The Emissary Pilot was interesting because of your take of it as viewing it as like a TNG episode in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So here you see that the wormhole still exists, right? Yes. So yep. th- th- what's your opinion? There's not a lot to do with the wormhole in the Gamma Quadrant in this one, but do you have any sort of new um, understanding or like appreciation for it, I guess, would be the, or do you see it in a new light, I guess? Not really. It's yeah. just, I mean, it's, it's just, it seems like it's just an, a device. I mean, at least right now, it, it, as it was used in this episode, it was just a, another, uh, j- story, story starting device. You know, it was like, sure. it brings oh, in we, the Yeah. The shit, we either drawing the ship out of the gamma quadrant. Was that coming out of the, the wormhole too, with the ship that they found at the beginning? Were they really uh, on? yes. Yeah. That, that came back from the gamma quadrant. Yeah. And then, you know, the, 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 the space station itself was being drawn towards the wormhole, right? Is that? I I I did not understand that whatsoever. Why that was happening? Okay. I don't know why they were being pulled in. I don't know if something was trying to pull them in to get that alien back, or if the alien was trying to get back to the wormhole and it was pulling them yeah. in. Well, I mean, regardless, I mean that just sums up what the wormhole is in this episode. It's yes, just, it's just a thing. That- it's- it services the plot for when they need something with tension to happen. Yes. And it's actually kind of surprising how little we've gone into the Gamma Quadrant in the show so far. For this being like a major device, we have not yet gone into there and explored anything. We've had alien races come visit us, but we haven't gone in yet. Yeah, I was wondering if if it felt to me in this episode like it was... Uh, um. The Deep Space Nine was the island that Gilligan and the crew were on, and then the 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 uh, the wormhole was like the ocean where everybody ends up. Like, oh, the Harlem Globetrotters came through would, this week. You know, it's, sure, it's yeah. where everything comes through. It's like, well, what's coming out of the wormhole this week? Yes, that that's that's what they're doing with it so far, and it's it's kind of shitty. Um, it's not super interesting, and it's it's really. It brings up questions as to why they're not showing you what's going on in there. I I think that they don't really have a good idea as to what's going on in it yet, but. Um, it also brings up something I wanted to talk about, which is the universe of Deep Space Nine is now very, this sort of non-completely Starfleet thing is starting to show a couple of problems. We have a patron comment after afterwards that I'll read, but the, the fact that, um, Vash is a person going after profit, Right. What is the driving force in this universe where everything is replicatable? Why do they still have a drive for this at this point? Like, in the scene where O'Brien is leading Vash around and he's like, oh, these are Cardassian quarters. She's like, oh, I used to sleep in a tent. He's like, wait till you sleep on a Cardassian mattress. They're terrible. It's like, why don't you replicate mattresses? Like, why why is this? (laughs) Why are they having a problem bringing the station up to snuff? Why why is Bajor still suffering if they could just give them a thousand replicators it feels like everything would be fixed at this point yeah well that's the i mean that's always the problem with things like that it's it's well i think they are they are problem solving devices that literally will solve any problem but i think the, (laughs) the tng universe was less obvious that there was a universe outside of starfleet you know what I mean? So the, yeah, the yeah. fact that the fact that now we're running into races that don't have these things, it's very weird that when they collide with Starfleet, there's not a lot more friction than you would imagine about mm. these things going on. Well, I was actually going to say, is there any 
do, are there any episodes that are about the fact that only the star like only the Starfleet people can use the replicators and shit like that or I, anything like that? I don't that? know if it's about that they do start touching on topics like that, yeah. but I don't know if it's specifically about the replicators. The replicators are just like to me the most obvious um thing here. Like, you know, the the scene the horrible scene where they're auctioning off the goods, which looks like it was shot in a basement of a high school for some reason. Um <laughs> Is I did really I did really like the six fingered joke though I thought <laughs> that's very good that it's just so it's weird to me like how do these things have value if you whatever you need can be made for you like why why would you pay what seems to be money for these things it doesn't make a lot of sense for me like how are you making the money where are you going the economy of Deep Space Nine basically doesn't make a lot of sense is my my point yeah it's <clears throat> I mean it's it's an interesting it's an interesting setup to have. Um, a the world outside Starfleet existing on a Starfleet star uh, Starfleet base, yeah, <clears throat> where you have this uh, uh, cross of yeah. There's the people that don't have all this stuff, but then there's Starfleet who is like living the utopian dream, basically, or you know, and has all has the replicators, has all the great medicine, all this kind of stuff. They don't even get that's paid. A, don't need to get paid. You know, it's, it's yeah, so good. Exactly. Yeah. That's a that's an interesting juxtaposition. Um, so it would be, uh, it would be interesting to see how they go forward with that if they touch on that at, at much. Yeah, they, yeah, they will. And, um, yeah, I think I would, I would have, I would wrap this one up. I was going to, you know, with your second appearance, ask you if you had any, um, sort of updated opinions of the characters, but I think this is the wrong episode to ask you about that because, um, the only people we get a good look at are Bashir and Quark, I think, both who mm-hmm. don't really come off very well because they get played by Vash um, in basically the same way. Yep. Um, and that's well, how... Bashir's the doctor? Yeah, Bashir's the doctor. Well, he doesn't get played by Vash. He gets played by Q. That's true. She... He, he literally... <laughs> Q just tells him to go to bed. <laughs> He's gone, <laughs> and then he shows up in the last thirty seconds of the episode. <laughs> that was a, uh, yeah, that was a, that. That almost felt to me like the actor got sick or something. They had to write him out. They're just like, hey, just just go to bed for the rest of the episode, and that'll be fine. Yeah, I think it's just a. There's nothing really here for the character work, and it's just kind of a waste of Q. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add before we wrap this thing up? Um. It's really? a terrible episode. I feel, I feel, I feel just dreadful that you had to watch this. Episode. Hey, man, you know, I I worked my way through it on the last on TNG. I'm I'm willing to do it uh, within reason. Yeah, okay. for, for this one. <laughs> um, no, I think we I think we pretty much hit all hit all the beats. It's it's a it's an unfortunate waste of Q, and it's it bums me out because the B plot of the um ship or the space station losing power and all that kind of stuff i feel like in in a good season of tng would have been a fine backdrop to yes. whatever yep. character work they're doing with q and with cisco or or whatever um so it it's it bums me out that they couldn't follow through with that kind of episode here you know, and you know what's weird to me is that these episodes that we've watched so far, this one is written by two TNG writers. So huh. it's odd to me that there's such a schism in how they're writing for the characters. Um, or it's not even writing for the characters. It's writing plots that don't – and I think it really just comes down to the plots would – maybe this would be an okay – if you shot this in season six of TNG, maybe the cast and production at that point would have been pulled off enough to make it okay – you know, at that point, I don't know. 
and and he, here it's just it's kind of awful because the characters are still up in flux and everything like I, that. I actually at first when she first comes onto the ship and they're going through all of her stuff and they pull out that that the the yellow glowing egg thing, uh, for a second, I thought that was something that had shown up in the first episode. But I, I oh, you thought it was a the tear of the prophet, the uh, the orb or whatever. Yeah, I yeah. think that's what I must have thought it was. In which case, I was like, oh, that's interesting. That could be pretty cool. But then it very clearly was not that. Like, <laughs> yeah, kind of bummed out, but. There's so many um, Well, we can, uh, we'll wrap it up th- then. Oh, sorry. I, just uh, to kind of piggyback off the thing you're saying about this was written by two TNG writers. The thing, the thing that I feel, the one thing I feel like I've learned after watching um, the original series, TNG, the movies, and then now this show apparently, is if you want a good version, don't hire people from the previous version. Yes. Yeah. That's a good uh, point. Because the TOS people who wrote for TNG, that never really worked. Uh, the TNG people who wrote for the movies didn't really work. The TOS people who wrote for the movies didn't really work. There's there, And clearly here, I guess, that the TNG people writing for Deep Space Nine doesn't really work. I, I, that, that's only on a very small sample size. Maybe Ronald Moore, you know, writes some killer episodes later. I don't know. Um, <laughs> is he involved with the show? He is. He comes on. He is. Yep. There okay. are TNG writers who move over after TNG ends, and the show does better for it so yeah this is these are sort of the the writers who are writing this early one are the sort of um the writers who do like one script a season for tng like they're 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 probably not writing staff they're they're kind of just freelancers in a lot is of ways there, is there is there a really heavy tracy torme season <laughs> there should be it's been a long time since we brought up uh tracy he, he should write royale part two and we can all have a good time watching it um We'll wrap it up. We're going to give uh, patron thoughts and then our final ratings, but I'm going to play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back and finish off Qus. I use a very small amount. Do it. Unless we get this under control in the next eight hours. We'll begin evacuation procedures. Still chasing your own tail? Picard and his lackeys would have solved all this techno babble hours ago. No wonder you're not commanding a starship. Security to ops. Well, aren't we the feisty little go-getter? I'd keep my eye on this one. Chances are she's after your job. Why don't you do something constructive for a change? Like torment Cardassians. Do I know you? O'Brien. From the Enterprise. Enterprise? Oh, yes. Weren't you one of the little people? Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. My advice to you is to evacuate now and save all this pointless guesswork. Q, either you tell us what's going on or get the hell out of the way. I'll tell you what's going on. While you're here conducting futile experiments, Vosh is below engaged in base commerce and setting Federation ethics back 200 years. Believe me, gang. She's far more dangerous to you than I. Very Clay. So, as usual, I'm going to read some uh, patron thoughts here. People have been posting on patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you're a patron, you can uh, post your thoughts about the upcoming episodes, and I'll read them online or whatever on this podcast. So, uh, Tark writes, Culus, Vash on choosing between science and profit. I'll choose profit every time. Again, you can literally replicate anything you want. I kind of stole his point, but I uh, really wish this didn't bother me so much, but Deep Space Nine draws your attention to the reality of the economy, and it doesn't make any sense. So far, Deep Space Nine isn't great on the whole, but it's watchable. Certainly better than early TNG. Um, would you? Uh, that I I oh sorry. Yeah. Would you Would you agree that this is better than early TNG? 
Uh, I was going to say, based on the early TNG episodes that I watched for the podcast, I'm going to say yes. Okay. Um, because they're not... I mean, I've only watched two episodes so far, so I don't really have a lot to go on, but they have yet to put their foot all the way down their throat like they did with something like Angel One. Yeah. Or something that's just completely off the mark and completely design-wise preposterous or whatever. And if they feel like... It feels like they've learned from TNG to a point, uh, but they haven't found their thing yet. They haven't found out... It, they haven't found what's what's going to make them ex- excel. They're just kind of doing what they know works on TNG for better or worse. Yes, yeah. I think that the Deep Space Nine ones are just kind of the, the biggest thing you could put against them is that they're kind of boring. Like TNG yeah. early early TNG episodes were failures of television episodes. Like they they just didn't make any sense and everything. The Deep Space Nine ones are really just kind of they're either boring or they're just kind of like mediocre. Like, there's nothing particularly memorable about them has been the experience so far. Right. Um, Steven writes, Qless, I enjoy a good Q episode. This was great in that it showcased Q and Vosh, but had little to do with the Deep Space Nine crew. The most significant moment was the boxing with Cisco and the comment of Picard never hitting Q. It definitely served to show that Cisco is a different commander than Picard. What I cannot figure out is whether it was a good moment or heavy-handed. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts about it. So what do you think? Is that scene good or is it heavy-handed? Um... I think it would have been good in a better Q episode. Yeah, I, th- I think it had potential, but comes off heavy-handed. Yeah. It was well, my take. I, the f- I will say that the fighting is is terrible. It's terrible. It's terribly shot. Um, and I don't know if uh, <clears throat> I don't know if it shows that the choreography was bad, or that maybe Q just actually has never had to throw a punch, being <laughs> un- un- omnipotent, unkillable, un- um, un- um, omnipotent god. But uh, the way that Cisco just like takes those punches is really weird. <laughs> Rever- and also, theoretically, if he punched Q, Q should just, like, phase through his fist or something. I don't know. Yeah, it should be very matrixy. But Throw I, it all out. I, re- I respect that he gave him that. It, it also, um, it gave Avery Brooks a chance when when he, when he Q turns him into the boxing garb and they're, like, about to box. It, it gives Avery Brooks a chance to do one of his high-pitched yelps when he goes, what? <laughs> Whatever. So that's always good <laughs> that they give him a chance to do that. He's, he's so fascinating because he just, the character is so tightly wound and he clearly is not no that he's just dying to inject life into this character and yep. there's yep. just he's any any tiny crevice he can find to squeeze through he'll take yeah well his uh, he'll be interesting going forward i'll leave it at that so kyle b writes Qless. the plot of the episode doesn't justify having q in it it's clear that they just had to cram q in an episode and his stalker style infatuation with vosh doesn't make much sense well, I don't like the episode very much. I'm glad it exists in its current form with the multiple TNG-style story points, Q, Vash, and even one of those space jellyfish, because it showed early on in the season's run that this wasn't the show the writers could tell those stories in. While TNG took a few seasons to find its feet, it takes DS9 just one season, and learning from failures like Qless is why. Also, any episode that begins with a joke about Technobabble the series uses before falling back on a Technobabble in the final act is hard to like. I agree with that. Um, <laughs> Q actually makes a joke about the Technobabble at a certain point. Um, and I agree totally with that. I think this episode is a failure, um, of an episode. It's the worst one I've seen of the first season of Deep Space Nine so far. Um, but guys, thank you very much for leaving your thoughts. It's very much appreciated. There's a lot more coming forward. I think people had to catch up with the, uh, the system of how we're doing it, but we'll have a lot more comments for the episodes in the future. Um, final thoughts and ratings. I'm going to give this one a one out of five, Clay. Um, I think it's Mm. very bad. I think it's a waste of 
Q. I would have rather never had Q in this series uh, than have this episode. And it is a failure of storytelling. It's a failure of plotting and it's a failure of scripting. And the performances are trying, but the script doesn't really give them anything to do. Um, the glimpse that we get with Odo and Quark is really the one bright side uh, one to me. Uh, how about mm-hmm. yourself? Well, um, as you said before, I uh, my barometer is is still kind of geared towards uh, TNG. Yeah. And if this were a TNG episode, I'd probably give it a two, but because uh, it's like it's 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 boring, but there's nothing like horribly bad about it. It's just sort of blah. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And I, but I agree with you. I would I would have to go with a one. Uh, I'm gonna follow your lead on this, but also because yeah, I mean, if it's a waste of Q. Um, the story is completely pointless and it doesn't really move anybody forward. Way. I mean, I, I think I would say that I would say that the script here is a terrible script. Like there, there's really no story here, you know, going on. Like if, if you were to say that it would be pulled off in TNG or be a two for you in TNG, I think that I think my counter would just be that I, I do think this is a legitimately terrible script. It's it's boring, but it's also completely pointless it doesn't have a huge fuck up or anything in it like there's no yeah, glaring yeah. errors in it but it's just like you got to tell a better story than this this is just really bad i think it could have used at least another 10 minutes of talking about different amounts of money yes <laughs> well gold plus or 10 minutes more of uh the umox which is when she's rubbing quark's ears yeah <laughs> and uh he, ba- he basically orgasms in his pants and lays there i was um that's something uh, when i watched this when i was younger i wouldn't have really appreciated how much that's basically just her giving him a hand job and mm. you know like there's nothing really well not, not really hiding anything right there i noticed in the first episode and she comes back in this episode that one alien waitress who's wearing like a shirt that just comes down to like right below her nipples <laughs> and like so you get under boob and like a whole stomach and how did they get that on tv that's a pretty risque for star trek that's the most risque thing i've ever seen it was blurry it's like you say everything looks blurry and washed out in these early episodes that's true and you um yeah they do get better with the set design too so you can look like the lighting of the show improves so drastically yeah it's it's, so dark yeah um so that's something to look forward to but you'll give it a one i'm gonna give it a one i think it's the worst episode that uh, we've had so far in the season and um Happy I could be here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it does get better uh, at some point. Like Kyle B. said, it's really only the first season that is difficult. Uh, they, they pick up themselves quite well after that. Uh, anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening. You can check out all the social media stuff. All the links are in the podcast or the video description. Only thing I'd ask you to check out is patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you want to support the show, you go there. We have a lot of patrons. We now have like 50 patrons. It's kind of incredible. Oh, Everyone responded awesome. very favorably to my begging in the, uh, the before that we started this series. But Hopefully Time to enjoying. jack up the rates. That's, that's right. The rates are going up. Um, yeah, but thank you very much, patrons who are there. Hopefully you're enjoying the patron content and people who don't support the show currently. You might as well check out Patreon, see what's over there for you and see if it's interesting. And as always, the captain level uh, supporters on Patreon, I'm going to list off. It's Stephen K., Ben D., Tax Albert, Kyle B., Joint Mango, Vincent Adultman, Doug V., and Tark L. Guys, thank you very much for appreciating uh, for supporting the show. It's greatly appreciated. Clay, thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back. And if somebody had to watch this, I'm glad. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, what I it's it's a it's a tough, tough sort of sell here. I mean, I, I look at the 
the future episodes and it does get better relatively quickly. It'll it'll be interesting. You'll have a couple more episodes in the first season and you have the first sort of what's considered to be the great one of the great episodes of the show. I th- I think I've earned it. Yeah, the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, I, I would like to say one thing before before we end out is uh two costume notes. Um I really appreciated Q upgrading his costume to the DS9 costume, he, even though he, I did like that he showed up in the TNG costume. He even well. has a line about it. He mentions the, yeah. uh, the tailors have improved. Yeah. And also, uh, O'Brien with his sleeve rolled up is the best version <laughs> of the costume ever. That's my favorite thing I think I've ever seen is the fact that he can roll his sleeves up and still look like he's in star it's great it's it w- just a great ed- addition it works for the character too it's like oh, the perfect 100%, yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a small change but it's like perfect for the o'brien character that he walks around with his sleeves rolled up uh, <laughs> I, I agree um but you have 17 bad episodes before you get to your good one uh so you'll be back for excuse those. me <laughs> and we'll uh we'll eventually go through the wormhole at some point but guys thank you very much for listening clay thanks for coming on yeah thanks for having me. guys we will see you next time with what is the episode after this Dax. I wonder what that one's about. See ya.